0: Welcome to Folkways, the Folklore of Britain and Ireland podcast. Hello and a warm welcome to the second helping of First Fruits. This was meant to be uploaded last week, however I had some important personal things to take care of. However, in the meantime, I've been doing even more research, so actually this might turn out to be a better episode... I have especially enjoyed learning about the fairs that were traditionally held all throughout August. This has been one of my favourite episodes to research and I hope these two shows will provide some seasonal inspiration for many Augusts to come. Enjoy. Let's kick right off and look at how the beginning of Harvest was celebrated around the rest of these islands. So we shouldn't be that surprised that on the Isle of Man, with its obvious Irish cultural link, it very much follows the Irish style of early Harvest celebration. We find people gathered on hills here too, much like their friends to the West with the Manx name for this time, Lal Lunis. In Wales, the opening of the harvest is Gwyl Oust and the first Sunday in August saw crowds climb mountains in the Brecon beacons where pilgrims would set off at dawn to make the trek again echoing the Irish tradition of the sacred ascent. In Cardiganshire, shepherds also held hilltop celebrations, which primarily consisted of feasting. In Carmarthenshire, a special dish of rice, bread, raisins, currants, and treacle was enjoyed. Oats are the main component of another gulloused treat, such as shiut, crumbled oat cakes steeped in buttermilk. The feasting in these areas of Wales was naturally followed by games, drinking, music and dancing. Many games look like they derive from old fertility rites and they are adults only. Uh, One game, which translates into English as an hour in the hay, targets anyone who casually wanders into the August hayfield. Um, The individual can be taken captive by the opposite sex, tied up with hay and only released when a favour is granted. (laughs) Um. The first harvest of August does get a bit muddy though when we consider the celebrations by a people who we now call the English, so enter stage right the Anglo-Saxons. You may have noticed the first harvest has two names, Lunasa or Lammas, of course. So our Germanic friends called this time Hlefmas, meaning Loafmas, which is where we get the medieval English and Scottish Lammas. So how do we know the Anglo-Saxons marked this time of the year? Lammas is referenced in the early English text, The Red Book of Derby, as well as regularly in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. The Chronicle's entry for 921, when describing the actions of King Edward's army, mentions the Old August festival as a calendar reference. Quote, the same summer betwixt Lammas and Midsummer, the army broke their parole from Northampton and from Leicester. Went thence northward to The same summer betwixt Lammas and Midsummer. So, a much quoted custom is that the first cereals were reaped at this time, made into bread, and then consecrated at church on the same day. A book of Anglo-Saxon charms instructs that this holy bread should then be divided into four pieces, and then each piece crumbled in the four corners of the barn that was to store all of the incoming grain. Why? The Anglo-Saxons would have been a busy people and uh, the beginning of harvest, uh, I'm sure there's plenty of jobs to be doing. I can see them now, uh, strawberry blonde hair blowing in the wind. Yeah, why would they waste this precious time acknowledging these first cereals in this way by blessing them and then sprinkling them around that barn that is to hold the rest of the grain. Why would you take time out of a labour intensive schedule to open the proceedings with ritual? I'll let that just hang with you for a moment. Thinking about the Anglo-Saxon name Loafmas takes us to the heart of the August festival. Last year's grain has now run out and the survival of the community is dependent on what this harvest brings. A season of plenty of hard work and company in the fields will shortly be beginning. It's hard to emphasise how important this time is, how essential this time is and musing on this period of scarcity before the first harvest helps us to recognise the significance of the first cutting of this grain. Of the scattering of this to the four corners of the barn seen by the Anglo-Saxons, of the baking into a bannock as seen in the Outer Hebrides that we looked at last show, or the solemn cutting of the first of the grain, as seen in rituals across Ireland. Dr Alison Milbank and Professor Tom O'Loughlin from the University of Nottingham here discuss some of the significance of this first loaf.
1: The other thing is that of course once the, lo- the first loaf that had been gathered, if you leave aside the, 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 all the, the, the Eucharistic theology that we've been speaking about, there's also the joy that for the people who, who are in the village, they now know the harvest is in, the mill has done its job, the first loaf has been baked. They, they are now going to survive the winter. They now have the wherewithal to survive. And so, Lamas is, is not only the great harvest festival, but it's actually the, the sense of relief. It's, we, we can survive. Yes, because they call July, lean July mm. because very often the bread might have the grain from the year before might have run out. Or even more horrible, July of the cabbage. In Irish it's called you <sighs> na because the grain has gone and you're all you're left with is is, is, is things like cabbage. And but, and so what happens is once the new wheat has arrived mm. you have suddenly got a whole a whole host of popular customs that emerge.
0: We've already noted this festival has two names, Lunasa and Lammas. So is Lammas just the Anglo-Saxon version of Lunasa? Good question. Let's turn to Professor Ronald Hutton, who in Stations of the Sun efficiently deals with this problem. He writes... The arrival of the time when the first of the harvest could be gathered would have been a natural point for celebrations in an agrarian society, meaning the Germanic tribes that invaded Britain probably would have already been noting this time back home. Hutton continues, the importance of this August festival was already well established by 673 it would seem very likely that a pre-Christian festival had existed among the Anglo-Saxons on that date and Moira McNeil suggests this was none other than the Celtic Lunasa. Her reasoning, Hutton continues, was that the early English must have adopted it from the ancient British because there is no sign of a continental festival at this time, meaning the Germanic lands these people originated from. However, to prove McNeill's point directly would involve a detailed knowledge of the religious calendar of the Anglo-Saxons before they arrived in England, which is impossible. To establish it by analogy would require a proper comparative study of early August festivals and customs in Europe, and Hutton concludes that this is certainly possible, but has not yet been attempted confused succinctly, we don't know. To my mind, rather than the Anglo-Saxons quote-unquote stealing Lunasa from the ancient Britons, it does seem to make more sense that the Germanics would have had some comparable rights. Like Hutton says, if you're in the business of agriculture, the significance of the first of the harvest isn't going to be lost on you, is it? It does seem plausible, the Germanics would have witnessed the August rites of the ancient Britons they encountered, and over time the celebrations have become merged. So, yeah, there you are, you're an Anglo Saxon, your strawberry blonde hair and beard billowing in the wind. Um, there you are, you've just invaded England, brilliant. Only thing is, you're surrounded by all these weirdos. Like I said, I still can't imagine you'd be mind bogglingly perplexed by any rituals involving the first fruits or the first harvest. Now, I'd like to return here full circle to Lou. At the beginning of last episode, I introduced this August festival being known as Lou's Wedding Feast or Funeral Games, both these names conjuring rather enchanting, colourful scenes in the mind's eye. The Wedding Feast idea comes from a reference to a 15th century version of the Tochmach Cúailnge, a medieval Irish saga the manuscript references Lou's kingship wedding feast. We don't learn who Lou is being wedded to, but we can note the island had a long tradition of linking kingship to a union with a goddess figure. So this figure might be embodied by an actual woman, uh, such as one of royal lineage. But either way, through this sacred marriage between king and uh, the goddess of the land, as it were. The king is swearing to uphold and protect the land and the people upon it and to be true to both, uh, wedding the land in a way. I think we should bring this back, to be honest. Not just royalty, but I'd love to see all political leaders having to wed the land of the country they serve, can you imagine? In regards to the name Lu's funeral games for this time however, this is in reference to his stepmother, Talchia. To commemorate her passing, Lu initiated the fair of Talchian in her honour as a wake fair, the festivities including feasting, games and sports. We'll pop a bookmark here and return to this theme of games in a minute, but first it's of great interest that an historical event was indeed called the fair of Talchian and it was held annually in august midway between the places of Navan and Kells near an alleged gravesite of the legendary Talchian in what is now county meath fascinating stuff To quote Melanie Marquis, dating back to at least the 6th century, the fair drew together people from throughout Ireland and Scotland. Popular for its athletic games, a report from the fair written in 1169 records that the horses and chariots alone who gathered to witness the spectacle stretched in a line for more than six miles long. That's right, six miles. Though arguably the most famous, Marquis continues, the Fair of Talcian was by no means the only August fair known in Ireland. A similar fair was held at Carmen in what is now County Kildare. Local legend relates that Carmen was the name of the mother of an invading force who threatened Ireland, and according to law, Carmen gave up her life and died a hostage as a way to guarantee that the invaders would not return. Adding interest to this tale, archeologists discovered near the site the remains of a young woman who seems to have been buried alive. It may seem odd to us, Marquis continues, to have a fair near a gravesite. But such locations seem to have been preferred. The Lunis Affairs were typically held near the burial mounds of mythical divine female heroes such as Talchia or Carmen. A poem called The Ancient Fair of Carmen from the books of Ballymote and Leinster around the 7th century and translated into English by Eugene Curry, goes, The renowned field is the cemetery of kings, the dearly loved of noble grades. There are many meeting mounds for their ever-loved ancestral hosts. To mourn for queens and for kings to denounce aggression and tyranny. Often were the fair hosts in autumn, upon the smooth brow of noble old Carmen. Let's just look at those few lines here. The renowned field is the cemetery of kings, the dearly beloved of noble grades, So, it is explicitly saying this fair is held in a type of graveyard, but also that these graves are of nobility, they are kings. As we looked at with the sacred wedding, an element of the divine may be present in that kingship. Then we've got, there are many meeting mounds for their ever-loved ancestral hosts. So uh, the ancestors are celebrated and welcomed here to mourn for queens and kings, to denounce aggression and tyranny. So at this time, in this sacred place, we have uh, some kind of a truce, it would seem, to denounce aggression and tyranny. And then often with affairs hosted in autumn upon the smooth brow of noble old Carmen. As we briefly mentioned, one of the chief elements of these fairs was that of games and sports with contests held for horse riding, chariot racing and competitions between nobles, the games for Talchia or Carmen. And if we think about some conclusions that can be drawn from the poem we've just read. The games, even though highly competitive, are performed in the spirit of goodwill between people, it would seem friendliness on the respective graves of the noble ancestors. This mixing of high spirits with the dead is something that Marquis mentions that may seem peculiar to modern sensibilities. When we want to keep the sports away from the graves of our ancestors, Today, we are far more likely to siphon off the area where a loved one uh, is buried, for example, in the name of being respectful, I suppose. But this line from the poem, there are many meeting mounds for their ever-loved ancestral hosts. Does that sound disrespectful to you? Their ever-loved ancestral hosts. And it is this context. We're not just having a knees up here. We are aware of the noble lineages that connect these different people to each other, potentially, but also to this specific place. So we've got Serma, Goodwill, chariot racing. However, at these August fairs, romance was also in the air. Partnerships were arranged between available youths, and ceremonies could be performed on the spot. As well as more permanent unions, temporary trial partnerships were also seen. This second type of union saw a partnership last for a year and a day until the end of the next August fair, at which time the union could be dissolved if so desired. Sometimes we see gifts being exchanged from rings and gold coins to red ribbons and silver toothpicks. Listen to this one fascinating account of this matchmaking collected by Irish historian John O'Donovan in the 1830s. John wrote of the so-called Telltown marriages in County Meath. By the way, Telltown marriages is, as far as I can see, uh, an anglicised version of Talchia. Yep, that's right, Lou's stepmother, after which the Talchian fairs we just looked at are named after. So, Adonovan writes, A number of young men went into the hollow to the north side of a wall and an equal number of marriageable young women to the south side of the wall, which was so high so as to prevent them from seeing the men. One of the women would then put a hand through the hole in the gate and a man took the hold of it from the other side, being guided in his choice only by the appearance of the hand. The two were thus joined hands by blind chance and were obliged to live together for a year and a day. According to O'Donovan, this ceremony was performed at a place close to the knockhounds known as Leganini or the Hollow of the Fair. He created these uh, ordnance survey maps, which are just fascinating, uh, detailed painstaking work Andy continues that if those who had been married for 12 months disagreed they returned to the center of the wrath a circular earthen wall forming an enclosure so yeah they would return to the wrath the following year place themselves back to back one facing north the other facing south and walk out of the fort a divided couple free to marry again. I love this, rather than just signing a divorce paper, for example, if we can actually, yet physically embody, in this case, a type of separation with dignity, walking willingly away from each other to our new destinies, never underestimate the power of symbolism on the human mind. The Telltown or Telchian custom of divorce for unsuitably assorted couples was also seen in Britain. In Scotland, the rite was known as hand-fasting. Readers of Walter Scott may remember that in the monastery, Julian explains to Henry Warden his relation to Catherine of Newport. When we are handfasted, as we term it, we are man and wife for a year and a day. That space gone by each may choose another mate or, at their pleasure, may call the priest to marry them
1: for life, and this we call hand-fasting.
0: So we see these lammas fairs all across these islands throughout the month of August. However, Irish literature regarding graves and goddess figures linked to the fairs is of real interest, isn't it? Giving these events a whole other dimension. As well as themes of romance, we also see practical matters within the community being settled at these fairs across Britain and Ireland. As we mentioned last episode, debts were collected at this time and other general matters of the neighbourhood solved, especially concerning land. It's of note, symbolism-wise, that these issues of finance, of love, of communal cohesion are dealt with at the very time of the first grain ripening, the grain that were gone to feed this community. And thoughts of these interconnected themes leads me smoothly into a closing word from Moira McNeil, who opened last episode. She writes, In the old days before modern communications had transformed the patterns of rural life, no other concourse of the year could compare in attractions and number with the assembly that celebrated the end of summer and the beginning of harvest. It was given a special gaiety because it was enjoyed most by the young, vigorous and high-spirited, by those for whom life seemed about to offer its most fruitful joys. you've been listening to folkways the folklore of britain and ireland podcast written and produced by myself ashley music by big big sky find him on socials and streaming platforms at big.big.sky be sure to connect with the show on instagram at folkways channel stay tuned for this month's almanac which will be coming up shortly If you'd like to hear the almanac before anyone else, be sure to head to Folkways YouTube channel which you'll find linked in the show notes, where the almanac is uploaded as an individual video at the beginning of each month. If you'd like the Folkways tree to grow and bear fruit, please consider watering its roots. This episode was made possible by the Friends of Folkways friends are excellent humans who chip in to help me afford the books i buy for each episode if you think preserving this work is a worthwhile endeavor you can join the friends from only two pounds a month in return receiving instrumental soundtracks letters in the post and meditations sharing it with a pal or leaving a good rating wherever you're listening to this also helps the show to grow thank you
1: Chippers get the butter out.
0: The same summer betwixt Lammas and Midsummer, the army broke their parole from Northampton and from Leicester.